Hey, family. How are we doing tonight? Awesome. Yeah, I'll be in Matthew chapter 6. You guys can turn to verse 19. And I would like to pray again. Dear Father, I thank you we can come before you this evening together as a family in Christ. Uh, God, we are here. We want to see you more. We want to recognize your presence. Uh, Lord, I thank you for this evening as we will talk about treasuring Christ. And I I ask that uh, you would guide my heart or guard my heart and guide my words that you would uh, bless them uh, so that I can bless others around me. In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, so, yeah, Matthew chapter 6, we'll start in verse 19, go to 24, but I want to give some, like, why did Jesus bring it to this point right here? Now, obviously, we know that, uh, you know, we're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, we're in chapter 6, but I kind of like to divide chapter 6 into two main sections um, with the big emphasis on treasuring Christ, and that's kind of also the topic the main theme of my sermon this evening, Treasuring Christ. <clears throat> now, the first half of chapter 6, of Matthew chapter 6, it's more so about uh, not, <clears throat> don't treasure the praise of people, but treasure the praise of Christ. Treasure your relationship with Christ. And the other side is, don't treasure the things of this world, but treasure the things in heaven. So that's divided at verse 19, 18 and 19. So 1 to 18 and then 19 through 34. And I'll be going to 24. All the way to 24. Now the way Jesus kind of introduces this part begins in the in the Lord's Supper, excuse me, in the uh, Lord's Prayer when he says, uh, excuse me, when he says, Give us today our daily bread. And even in the Lord's Prayer, it's about, God, how can I honor you? How can I worship you? Worship you for your glory. Do all this for your honor. <clears throat> the first three prayer requests are, um, the whole thing is all about your glory, your honor, your praise. But the first three are directed, primary, they're primary, directed to God. The second three are directed to God, but in a secondary sense, of through the means of things going on in my life. So through the means of things going on in my life. And one of those things I want to talk about uh, to get to where I'm at right now is uh, give us this day our daily bread. So one book I was reading several months ago is called Let Us Pray. It's by a plethora of theologians writing this book. Really great book. Always, I would definitely recommend it. And in this book, it talks about, um, when, it, when it brings up this verse, it says about it that, give us this day our daily bread. It's not just saying, uh, give us what we need. Give us what I want. Give us what I need. It's more so kind of encompassing the whole prayer, well, along with the rest of the prayer, that give us what I need so I can do your will. So I can do your will. And that really bounces off really well with what I'm going to talk about in verse 19. Fasting is a great uh, systematic sequence to go through in between because it authenticates and makes it more real in our life as we invigorate ourselves to pray in fervency these things into our life. Fasting makes it not just mentally, make us mentally capable, but also 
you know, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and all the way down to the heart, all the way down to the heart. So we, we take these things aside, food, water, all the, it could be food or water, it could be other things. Food and water is great to use uh, for fasting, especially food. And we take those aside, and when we bring it back in again, it's like, God, this I, I'm using this so I can live it out now for your glory more so. So give me this so I can live for your glory. And so now as we come to verse 19, I'm just going to go read the passage, 19 to 24, and then I'm going to go back to verse 19. So if you would read with me, please, NASB. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. For, for if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But <clears throat> if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth, mm -hmm. or anything else for that matter. Okay, I thought... <laughs> yeah, Siri knows. Siri agrees. <laughs> totally. Yeah, thank you. Amen. Anyways, <laughs> so back to verse 19. So verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Doesn't say don't store up treasures for yourselves, period. It says don't store up treasures for yourselves things on earth. So innately from the beginning, God created us with the ability, with the capacity to treasure things, to store up a desire. You know, he gave us the ability to to have preferences, to have passions, to have potential to draw things into ourselves and collect it, to store it up, and to withhold. That can be used for good, that can be used for bad. In a fallen world, obviously, that can be both ways. And for us here, he's calling us to treasure the right things. And as I will repeat throughout the sermon, that's going to be Christ. Treasure Christ. Uh, treasure him first and foremost. This is something I struggle with and want a lot more of and i'm sure as we all do we struggle with it and hope i hope we can build each other up in this desire and i think the the uh the the primary emphasis i want to convey is the importance of this and invigorating all of us more in the reasons both the practical intermingled intertwined with the spiritual reasons of why we should um, invigorate and continual um, dwelling on things above, particularly that of Christ, that of Christ. So do not store up. You know, this is, he's talking to the disciples, he's talking to the multitudes, and he begins with the very basic command, the basic, most basic command anybody could receive, and that is, don't do something. You tell a child, don't do something, he, that's the easiest thing he can understand in terms of commands. Don't do something as opposed to do do something, Anyone can get that, the oldest, the oldest to the youngest, the biggest to the smallest. And so this is, you know, as Jesus is here to fulfill the law and continue to fulfill the law, 
this is how he begins. This is how he begins. And just as, you know, we look back on the things like the Ten Commandments and we see, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. So here he begins this way and he will get into, especially next week's sermon, it will be more of do this, do this, do this. And so, but here it's going to, he, he, he lays out in the first two verses, 19 and 20, um, here are the here are some practical reasons of your problems that you have. I'm showing you the problems that you have in your life, and here are some reasons why. And let me show you a solution, something else to replace it with, something else to replace it with. Um, <clears throat> so, I've I've definitely lost a lot in my life. People in my family, people, friends, and also just things. Places I've, I've, I've moved and I haven't lived in somewhere more than two years of my life. A lot of places just one year as well. So I'm used to being a lot of places, new things, leaving lots of things behind, leaving lots of people behind. And, um, and I'm only 22. And a lot of you people are a lot older than me and have experienced a lot more of this. So I would think this would resonate with you guys a lot more, the whole... you treasure things on earth, you're going to find moth, rust, and destruction where thieves break in and steal. It's not going to satisfy because it's not going to last. It's not going to be there forever. It's really not. And this is what, this is the problem Jesus proposes, and then he wants to provide a solution. He wants to provide the solution, and we're going to get into that. We're going to get into that. Let's see. All right, so most of this talk is going to be more so on verse 20. But but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Especially that but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And so, like I said before, I want to establish some excitement, re-establish that excitement in us for those who are in Christians and those who are thinking about it to encourage you to do the same, to desire these things too as well. So here I have a list of uh, 12 reasons why you should think about things above. You know, you can either write them down or resonate with the ones that speak out to you the most whatever you want. But I, before I list those 12 reasons, I want to share, you know, I, I also read a few months ago a book called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. Very popular in the last 10, 20 years. And let's see, at the beginning of his book, he kind of opens up with this, why are so many uh, people, why are so many people in the church, even Christians, ask, uh, not excited about the things to come? Why are we not so contemplative about heaven above? Um, And this is really touching to me because this is a passion of mine to want to know why don't I, you know, what, and he proposes it too, like, why is it so hard to even spend five minutes a day on just thinking about heaven, thinking about things above, thinking about where I'm not right now? (laughs) And, uh, you know, some of us can do it, but it might, like, be every once in a while too. So... His, propo- his proposal is the idea that uh, the, devil's, uh, the devil distracts. 
the devil distracts us. The devil knows that once in Christ, we have eternal life. And if he can't get rid of that, then he knows he has to try another way. And this other way is literally just distracting us. He tries to come in and, and basically take the wreath away, take the reward away, take the prize away from the runner so that the runner is not so focused on passionately uh, running the race, going after the prize. You know, if you take the, if you take the prize away from any athlete, um, so that there's, there's, there's no end goal with this, basically, or there's nothing exciting to look forward to in the end. Are we really going to run with passion? Are we really going to run with vigor and excitement? Um, I mean, I wouldn't. Not not much at all. <laughs> I might do it, but not very not very thoroughly, not very enthusiastically, not excited about it. And I would certainly would prefer to lay up treasures here on earth. And the Bible would make no sense at all. If uh, its claims were not true, you know, Paul says in in First Corinthians fifteen that if Christ didn't raise from the dead, we are most to be pitied of all. And same thing, if there is no heaven, what is, what is there to strive for? What is there to look forward to? Why do we do what we do now if if we won't be raised from the dead to be with Christ one day? Mm-hmm. And so we want to look forward to that, and I want to. Um, uh, prepare us all and get us excited once again for that reward that we will have, the rewards that we will have, and Christ chief of all, the relationship we will have with him. We're going to have physical rewards. We're going to have rewards of being with family, being with the people that we discipled and brought to Christ, that he brought through us to himself, and also, and most of all, chiefly, that is Christ himself that we get to look forward to. And... uh Yeah, so let me list these 12 reasons. So in The Saints' Everlasting Rest by Richard Baxter, he says, um, here are are 12 reasons for the most importance, the importance of leading a heavenly life here on earth. Here on earth. Number one, it is the evidence of our sincere piety. In other words, it shows authentic fruit and authentic faith. If we're looking forward to the future, we can see in ourselves that deep desire, we can be assured that we have the Holy Spirit working in us because we're not living for the world now. We're not living for the world now. Number two, it is the highest excellence of the Christian's temper. Anything that is not Christ-like is simultaneous with beast-like behavior. Anything that is not Christ-like is simultaneous with beast-like behavior. We are called to be human in its most original sense. Not to be human in the, you know, after-fall sense, but in the before-the-fall sense. In the sense that uh, Christ, you know, God made us when he created us. He gave us this throne on our hearts, in our hearts. We could either rule ourselves with it, or we can allow Christ to rule that, almost like a control center, a command center. Um, And it's either us or, you know, this is idolatry here. This is either we put ourselves on that, throne of our hearts or something else or Christ the 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 original one who is supposed to take it the one who is supposed to take it and to be human in its most unique uh, not excuse me in its most original sense in its most intended design so to speak is to have Christ on our hearts you know we could say here's a list of all the things we could live for and Christ is at the top 
we could either say it like that, like Christ is our highest calling, or we can take everything else away like it shouldn't be there and say this is what it should be instead of just our highest goal or striving. Um, But quite honestly, like when the Bible, New Testament and Old Testament, especially the New Testament, talks about sinful behavior, it talks, it compares people to animals. And back then, it com- you know, it compares people to animals that they really, really didn't like at, in that era. Pigs and dogs and other things, other creepy things at the time. So, um, treasure Christ. Put him on the throne of our hearts. And we need to remember to do that because this is what we were made for. What we were made for. Okay, number three. It leads to the most comfortable life. Again, if we are Christians, we won't be living for the life now. We'll be living to the life to come. We'll be living with to, uh, for the life that we will be with Christ. Be with each other with the most, uh, and I'll say it again later, with the most uh, best relationships we will have. And that forevermore as well. Number four. It will lead to the best preservatives from temptation to sin. So Peter in First Peter four one he says it pretty clearly, pretty plainly I think that uh, when we suffer, we in a sense cease from sin. You know if we can get away from the desires of sin, if we can set our mind on Christ and suffer to that point, uh, uh, desire Him to the point of suffering, not caring about what the flesh desires, not caring what we want, but what He wants, then. Temptation is not so much of a problem for us. Uh, sin is not so much of a problem. Certainly, we still do it. But the more we are willing to suffer, the less, um, in a sense, more sinless we will become. We will sin less. Number five. It will invigorate our, excuse me. Yeah, it will invigorate our graces and duties. Uh, to many of you, I've sent out uh, a newsletter, a prayer letter, when I came back from Uganda. And after I came back from South Sudan, then Uganda, then here, and a lot happened in between. And in that newsletter at the end, I, I wrote four resolutions of Jonathan Edwards when he was my age, around my age, 22. And what he, and what he wrote was pretty impactful to me. I really wanted it in my heart, in my life, and how I lived now in light of the future. So I want to share those for you for number five. Uh, So here are the four. Resolved never to lose one moment of time, but improve upon it in the most profitable way I possibly can. Resolved Resolved to live with all my might while I still live. Resolved that I will live as so I wish as I were to come to die. And fourthly, and most astonishingly, I think, Resolved to endure, uh, resolved to endeavor and to attain as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can, with all power, might, vigor, vehemence, yea, violence I possibly am capable of, and to bring my and can bring myself to exert in any way I possibly can, in any way that possibly can be thought of. These are the resolutions of. Jonathan Edwards, and 
I think they're pretty impactful because it shows what kind of a guy he was and what that all the revivals that came after him too. Not that he did it, uh, did them himself, but being qualified and equipped and being wanting to be useful to the Lord, as it says in Luke sixteen ten, the in the little things, if you are faithful, God will make you faithful in much. If we can do this, and if we can resolve ourselves to profitable use now in light of the, 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 the life to come, since there is truly a life to come, then he will give us more, an ability to worship him, an ability to have greater effect on the lives of other people. And, you know, I want that for myself, and I hope you guys do too. I hope you guys do too. All right, so number six. It will be our best cordial in affliction. In other words, contentment and joy in suffering. A quote from John MacArthur about joy is that joy is the complete abandonment in all things to Christ. Joy is the complete abandonment in all things to Christ. And I, I, I think it's pretty plain here. I might just read it again, actually. It will be our best cordial in affliction. So contentment and joy when suffering. When we go through things, when we go through um, a loss or suffering in some whatever sense it is, um, especially if, if it's for Christ's sake, we know that we have joy and we know that this is not the end. We can uh, resonate with the psalmist in Psalm 73 where he says, why are things the way they are? Why are the righteous oppressed and the wicked prospering? Why are the uh, wicked just on top of us, righteous people. And this is just, you're a just God. Why does it look like this? And recognizing that God is just, he ends up saying, I, 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 re- I recognize that things are going to be overturned in the end. Things are going to be overturned in the end. And as we see in the last day, Revelation 20, that things will come to their just uh, cause, uh, c- conclusions. Things will end as they should. The righteous will have their reward and the wicked will perish. Let us not dwell over too much on what it looks like now. And therefore, let us look to the future to recognize what true reality it is. The more we look to the Bible as a reality, the more we understand our theology, understanding God, and how we understand religion, the response to what we know about God. All right, number seven, it will render the most profitable to others. Pretty straightforward. The more heavenly-minded I am, as C.S. Lewis says, the more uh, earthly good I will do to those around me. I like to think of Colossians 3, verse 1, all the way to Colossians 4, verse 1, which talks about how the more, one, one of the ways that we look to heaven, one of the ways we look to Christ as it says in verse 1 and 2, is to respond by loving others, starting in verse 12 all the way to 4 verse 1 in that book. So again, the more we are heavenly minded, the more earthly good we will do through loving those around us. And that will be mentioned a little bit more in a little bit. It will honor God. Number 8, it will honor God. That is pretty straightforward. And following up with that, number nine, without it, we disobey the commands and lose the most delightful discoveries 
of God. Those are pretty self-explanatory, so I will move on. It is the most it is the most reasonable to have our hearts with God as his as much on us. As the beginning of our relationship with Christ is, so it continues and so it grows in that way that just as Christ has given uh, tr- just as Christ has taken away my sin and my failure, so he has also given me his righteousness. Just as he's taken away all my sin and failure, so he has given me all his righteousness. And that continues through sanctification, but initially it started through the whole redemption process. And we can reflect on that when we live, our, we, we, we live out our lives. We look at not only to the future of what he has done, excuse me, not only looking to the future of the rewards that we will have, but also recognizing that, you know, we don't, we don't do good now to receive good, but because he had already given us the greatest good we could ever get. Um, that is Christ. That is the cross. That is um, him crucified, resurrected, and a life with him, being followers of Christ, being preserved by him, uh, reconciled with the Father in his death, and preserved in Christ with the Master, Savior, and Lord in his resurrection. Number 10. Oh, I did that. Number 11. In heaven, as we have much interest in relation. Number 12 goes really good with that, but I'll get to that in a moment. In heaven, as we have much interest in relation. You know, our true relationships are going to be in heaven. Our true relationships are with Christians here and now. So let us uh, capitalize on the relationships, on loving others around us, because we're going to spend eternity with each other. We're going to spend eternity with Christ, so let's treasure that here now and forevermore. Why dwell on the things that we can try to get out of this life knowing that they are utterly going to dissipate, disappear? It's hevel, 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 as uh, um, Ecclesiastes talks about. Nothing is worthwhile except that which belongs to the Lord that we can use to have a relationship and build with him. Number 12, and lastly, and I think this is quite fitting of Richard Baxter to say for the rest of them, besides, is there anything better we can set our minds on, set our hearts on? I think that's quite fitting because, you know, tell me, you tell me, like, is there anything else? Is there anything else we can that is better than this? That is better than this uh, calling to treasure what is coming and the reward that we have. Or is there something else? And I, I would wager that there is not. I would wager that there is not. And I hope these 11 previous reasons would encourage you to recognize. And I, and I hope this was just the beginning so that you guys will go to Scripture and uh, um, meditate on the truths and promises he has for those who love him and are looking forward to his coming, looking forward to his coming. So again, what do you fill the holes, what do we fill the holes in our hearts with? And I, I, I hope it is to treasure Christ. I hope it is to treasure Christ. Now, I think it was on the 4th of this, of this past week that it was a St. Francis of Assisi day. Is, am I correct in that? Yeah. Okay. 
good. Because <laughs> uh, I wanted to mention him briefly in the uh, sermon. So he was very popular, born in Italy, back, way back in the 1000s, 1100s era. Uh, son of a wealthy merchant, and he did not want to take part of that growing up. Well, when he came to Christ, he did not want to continue in that path. His aspirations left him once coming to Christ, and he wanted to live fully, solely, wholly devoted to God. He wanted to... Uh, um, so becoming a monk, he created a character named Lady Poverty, and with her, with her illustration, as, as far as I understand, she... she um, she is a symbol of the church. She is a symbol of the bride of Christ. And then to resemble that of Christ, who um, was basically gave up all aspirations for this world, living for wealth, you know, all the things that he could do with becoming the Messiah, taking over the political uh, side of things, as a lot of people wanted him to do. Um, and yet he chose to um, just lay himself low, humble himself, and throw away these aspirations without wealth, which he could have done so easily, and just focus on the mission. Focus on the mission that God called him to. For him, it was not living for anything else but his father. But his father. And so in the same way, the rich young ruler, Jesus called to give away all. Zacchaeus, when Jesus came to him, felt the urge to radically give all that he had and even more. It was it's crazy. Um, now, I'm not saying that we should be just like him and giving up everything that we have and the purpose to life is poverty. That is not what I'm saying here. But what I am headed toward is Col- 2 Corinthians 9, 7, which says, uh, Whatever is on your heart, to each his own, give as the Lord has called you to, not under the compulsion of man, but under the omniscience and the compulsion that he has on you to give. So giving is more so, should be more so look like this. Everything is the Lord's. Everything in our life, if we are the Lord's, it is his. So, you know, Chase talked more about it a few weeks ago, but, you know, when we give, we give for God's glory. We give for, you know, his will to be done in other people's lives. And when we withhold, it's more so back to that Matthew uh, 6, was it 9 or 10? No, 11, where it says, give us this day our daily bread. We withhold that so we can do the things that we need to in our own life for God's glory. It's not just so that we can have a good life necessarily, but so that we can maintain ourselves. Even the ant is called to store up, and so shall we for the times when we need have need. Um, some random person I have no idea but I wanted to share it said this when God blesses you financially don't raise your standard of living raise your standard of giving the quality of a man is not what he has but what he is F.B. Mayer said that we should seek to invest in eternal revenues, as I think Randy Alcorn said in another book. All right, let's go. You know, I said I'll be on this verse for a long time, so let's go to the next verses. Um, actually, that kind of summed up 
what I summed up kind of went through verse 21 as well. But let me just, verse 21. Again, we're not supposed to take away our treasure. We are supposed to uh, identify with treasure as a thing that God has put in our life, an element that God has put on our mind um, to use for his glory. It can be used for good. It can be used for evil. But let us use it for his glory. Let us use it for his glory because it comes from the heart innately. And let's see what happens through that with his illustrations, the next two illustrations. So verse 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? How great is that darkness? Romans 3.18 says about the natural man, the one who is apart from God, there's no fear in his eyes, for he is blind. Revelation 3.17, get this. The natural man is blind, but who is he talking to? He's talking to a church. He's talking to a church. He's saying that there are people in the church who are blind. It is it, one of the, This church that he's talking to is a dead church, or one of the dead churches, one of the churches that is, has some saints in it, but is, for the most part, dying, if not dead. And so what does he say in verse 18 in Revelation 3.18? Uh, in Revelation 3, he says, Christ has given salve, given them salve for their eyes. Salve is like a skin protector, uh, protector and also like healer, healing the skin, protecting the skin. It's like an ointment. So Christ has given salve so that we, so that we may see. And so that is synonymous with the spirit as our discernment and the Bible for our di- direction. The Spirit is for our discernment. The Bible is for our direction. And they were lacking both. They were lacking both. They were not content in those. Mm-hmm. I'm thankful to have the Holy Spirit in me. <laughs> I'm thankful to have the Holy Spirit in me because I know that I have... To my struggles is pride and lust. And rather than going after those, I would like to continue to gratify myself in the Lord, knowing that it takes time. You know, with the child, it is more so, um, the child knows he can go after something very easily and find some amount of satisfaction, but it really isn't satisfaction because it doesn't last. And so what Jesus here is saying, um, in a sense, you know, I... Not here necessarily in this passage, but he alludes to it in many other passages. This idea of um, the father's gifts that he gives is so that he can enjoy with the son. And as the son works at them, it might take some time. It might take some struggle. But as he does, as he do it, as he does it, he grows in relationship, and this will lead to the most satisfactory life, as it says in one of the twelve points that I mentioned earlier. 
Number, uh, all right, now let's go to verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Cannot serve God and wealth. So back to the beginning, we are created to serve something. Either the creator or myself, the creation. So let us not deceive ourselves in thinking we can serve God and something else. Very easy to do this. Very easy to do this. I definitely find myself doing it a lot where I can uh, just or attempt to justify one thing and also serve God and say that I love him. You know, does God have partnership with Biel or the Beelzebub? Or can I, being a temple of my maker, and as it says in 1 Corinthians six nineteen, how can I also call myself... Um, joined to the world. So rather than that, I need to continue to press on and strive to endure in the sanctification life. To recognize, and I want to you know, impress that, at least to some degree, on us, that as Americans, we very easily want to hold on to things. I want to hold on to things. It's, it's very easy to come to America and want and desire and be a glutton as well as... Uh, hold up and store up for myself myself what I can while I am here and enjoy the time that I have. And yeah, that that is uh, something we ought not to do. It goes right back to the premise of all of this. Where do we store our treasure up in? It shouldn't be the things of this world. It should be Christ. It should be treasuring Christ. And as Paul David Tripp says it, and I love how he says it, that if we, in every single thing that we do, you know, it says in 1 Corinthians ten thirty one, whatever you do, whether you eat or whether you drink, um, as Colossians three seventeen says, in all that you do, um, in everything that you do, do all to the glory of God. Same with 1 Corinthians ten thirty one, And Paul David Tripp says, in the very similar sense, if, you, if I cannot find a way to connect this to Christ... Obviously, if it blatantly goes against Scripture, I cannot justify it. But also, if it's a neutral um, thing I can uh, gratify myself with, if it's just something that is normal and it's okay, but if I cannot connect it to Christ, why do I do it? Why do I do it? Everything that God gave us in this world was meant to be enjoyed with Him. From the beginning, that was God's intention, and one day we will get to do it with Him in paradise. Once again, here on earth, for eternity, with our beloved, with those who are beloved, and so as I come to a conc- as I come to a close, I want to end um, with this: that which we treasure in our hearts, will nat- we will naturally devote ourselves to, as it says in this verse. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. That which we treasure in our hearts, we will naturally devote ourselves to. So treasure Christ, family, and let's help each other to do just that. Now let's go into prayer.